Let me invite you now to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Today we will be looking at verses 17 and 18. And next Sunday will be uh, the last message out of the book of Hebrews. And then we will go to another place in the Bible, which is yet unknown to me, but we will go. I will know by then. But I assure you, it will be in the Bible. Now, as we read this passage, it assumes a lot of presuppositions uh, that you would hold about membership in a church, whether or not that's a, a something you should do, which you are biblically compelled to do. And I think there's a ton of biblical support for being a member of a church. But we're going to be talking about shepherding today in some respects. And uh, that to me is one of the major reasons you need a formal relationship with the church is you need to be part of a flock that is being shepherded. So here now, the word of the Lord as we begin reading in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we... Uh, have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is God's word. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would turn on the spotlight today, that you would give us illumination that you would open our eyes to see the beauty of the truth. You would open our eyes to see the glory of Christ. You would open our eyes to how needy we are for a word from you. And so we pray today that you would speak to us and that what you say to us would find its way into our hearts, be woven into the fabric of our lives, and be expressed in word and deed. And we pray this in the honorable name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Groucho Marx, that great theologian, once said, I don't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. Sometimes I think that's why people are reluctant to join the church, because most churches are messes, but they're supposed to be, because none of us have it all together. Some of us hide it, better than others. Some of us present ourselves as if we don't have the slightest problem in the world, but we all do. And because of something called residual, remaining, indwelling sin in our being, we need accountability. We need oversight. You know, I've never liked this concept. When I went to first grade, first day of school, I remember hearing my teacher laying out all the rules and I was sitting there squirming in my seat, and I was thinking inside my little first grader heart, why don't you shut up and sit down and let me say something? <laughs> really? Really. I had a long way to go after it, but you know what? That guy's still there. He's still in me. 
I can be quite resistant to authority. And I know where it comes from. It doesn't come from what I understand the Bible teaches, not at all. To rebel against authority is to be a fool. It is to be an utter fool. But I, I know that that guy is there. That's the old Adam in me. He has amazing resurrection powers. And so when authority impinges upon me, sometimes I can, my first reaction is not always the best. Says who, I might say, when somebody tells me to do something or tells me I have to do something. But when it comes to the Bible, the writer of Hebrews doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't gloss it. He doesn't coat it with sweetness. He just goes straight to the thing and that thing is, you need to obey your leaders and submit to them. And he gives us compelling reasons why. In other words, he tells us what we're to do and why we are to do it. And then he tells us the most important thing we could do in our relationship with leaders in the church. And so the church is messy, but there is a concept of authority that is continually alien in the culture in which we live. Uh, leaders that have been called by God and selected by a church are, have the right and responsibility to exercise over you shepherding care. Now, I remember uh, about a generation ago, I had a good friend named Bill. and Bill was a pastor of a, a house church uh, in my hometown. And I was talking to him one day, and he says, are you aware of the shepherding movement? And I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, the shepherding movement is this. He said, I am the shepherd of my flock, and my flock makes no decision without running it by me. I said, really? I mean, what kind of decisions? Where they live, where they work, who they date, who they marry, what they give. And I said, are you kidding me? And he said, no. And I said, I'd never be a member of your church, ever, because that's not what shepherding is. We're going to learn what shepherding is because the Bible is going to tell us what shepherding is. That is a gross overstatement of it. But there is authority in the church, and those of us in authority have to engage a culture that is adrift from any kind of authority at all. Uh, I can remember... Um, my public school teachers sending home a note saying that I had misbehaved and my parents never one time took my side even if I thought I was right they never took my side why because they knew me they understood the kind of attitude I had and so they would always support the teacher why because they had a healthy respect for authority you don't find that anymore you don't find that anywhere people are disrespectful to any kind of authority the late George Carlin was once asked if he still supported the adage of the 60s, that is 1960s, challenge authority. He answered in the negative and said his new adage was destroy authority. The de deterioration of respect for authority in our culture has its root in a failure to respect the sovereign lordship of the ultimate authority, that is the living God, who is the shepherd and authority of all of life. And though we pay great lip service to faith in God, the bottom line of our culture is not the Lord is my shepherd, but I'm my own shepherd, thank you very much. 
Respect for the authority of the word and of the shepherd results in clear moral boundaries within which the sheep will be safe and secure. The sheep must look to the shepherd to delineate the bounds of what the green pastures are and the still waters. It is to these standards that the shepherd elder must be personally loyal and with which elders must feed the sheep. These fences are established by God. And with erosion of respect for authority of the shepherd, it is no surprise that respect for authority generally is diminished, whether it's in government, family, or church. And so we have an authority problem. I think we would all pretty much agree with that unless you have your head in the sand. And we are living in what many have coined the me-first generation, whose primary interest seems to be to satisfy itself first, to do its own thing, to go its own way, to capture and hold on to absolute personal freedom, free from the restraints of law, discipline, self-denial, and self-control. This perspective pervades our culture and has become a marketing in Madison Avenue selling point. One thing that ad people know is they know the human heart. And so we hear slogans like, Nike, just do it. In other words, don't think about it. Don't let anything stand in your way till you're doing it. Just do it. Or Burger King. I ate there Friday. Burger King says, sometimes you've got to break the rules. And the imitators have been numerous. Bacardi, black rum. I bet you'd never thought you would hear that. Bacardi, black rum, which advertises itself as the taste of the night, goes on to say some people embrace the night because the rules of the day do not apply. Easy spirit shoes, for heaven's sakes. Even latched on to this theme, promising a shoe that conforms to your foot so you don't have to conform to anything. Ralph Lauren's safari celebrates living without boundaries. And the reliable and staid Merrill Lynch declares that your world should know no boundaries. And even Neiman Marcus, or as we used to call it in Texas, Neiman Markup, used to say, relax, because here at Neiman Marcus, there are no rules. Hmm. Have any of these retailers ever considered the implications of what they're saying? Let's say I make a trip to Neiman Marcus, which I'm sure all of you do regularly, and I walk toward the door with merchandise instead of going to the checkout. And before I reach the door, I'm approached by a stern-looking security guard who asked me if I paid for the items items that I have in my hand. I said, no. And he informs me that I cannot leave the store without paying for those. And I say, but I thought there were no rules here. That's what your advertising says. There are no rules. You think the security guard's going to say to me, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Just take your stuff and go. No. Somebody once said, before you tear a fence down, find out why it was there in the first place. And that's what we, this is the world we live in. This is the community we uh, find ourselves experiencing. A community that resists authority at every turn. A community that is um, very cavalier 
about rules, very cavalier about the concept of law, very cavalier about accountability, responsibility. You know, it's the time of the year where a lot of us are doing taxes. A lot of us don't like that either, do we? Because we're held to an account. We have to pay a certain part of our income in taxes. And everybody here, I know who you are. You all want to pay what you owe, but not a penny more. But there's another accountability structure built into our lives. But we're seeing less and less and less willingness to submit to such things. And so in the context of the first century, authority was resisted in every way, just as it is in our day. We're not that radically different because the flesh, the fallen nature of human beings has been there since the Garden of Eden. And that flesh is very resistant to God's Word and very resistant to any concept of responsibility and accountability. And so preaching a message like this, I'm sitting in my office thinking and I'm sitting in my chair at home thinking and I'm on the Stairmaster at the gym thinking how do I communicate this knowing that people are probably going to be somewhat resistant to it. Well, it isn't my job to try to butter you up. My job is to tell you what the text says. And here's what the text says. It says that you are to obey those who are in leadership over you. That is, the elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over yourself. The most interesting word in this text is keeping watch. Does anybody here know what this uh, in the original language means? And I'm not going to say keeping watch. Uh, it means to lose sleep over. Elders are to lose sleep over the flock. Why would you think they would do that? Because they love you, they care for you, and they have a responsibility towards you to shepherd you, and they're going to answer for how they've shepherded you. All of us. All of teaching elder, ruling elders. We all have this responsibility. And we all lose sleep over those who are under our care. You think what you do doesn't matter. It does matter. It breaks the heart sometimes of people who truly love you. And so... There is an, an emphasis here upon the fact that Christ has set up in his church a system of accountability in which we keep watch. He tells, Paul tells the elders at Ephesians, he exhorts them and says, Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. First, the church ultimately belongs to God. It's God's flock. Second, the elders are to be shepherds of God's people, not lording it over them, but being an example to the flock. Third, the flock is made up of those entrusted to the elders. And Paul reminds them that the elders are not self-appointed leaders. They are leading the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. And here's the key question. If elders are commanded to shepherd the flock, which particular sheep make up this particular flock? Clearly, some parameters have to be set. It's not the whole world. Church membership then becomes a feasible means for elders to identify particular sheep under their oversight. 
And so the passages above address shepherds, but there are passages which also speak to the sheep. Hebrews 13, 17 provides the following directive. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. This simply underscores a very real commitment. You can call it membership, you can call it identification, you can call it active participation in the local church being made by early believers. But the commitment was so real that it was natural for the writer of Hebrews to command these local church folk to obey the local church leaders. Church membership then provides a means for leaders to know whom they are overseeing. And it allows members to know whom they should submit obediently. In the book of James, we're told, We're given directions for what to do in the case of a severe illness or sickness. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. But if you were in this situation, which particular elders would you call? And again, church membership provides a means whereby we know who our elders are in such a scenario. And this is what scripture teaches us. But a hallmark of our culture is individualism. In his classic account of the impressions of early America, French nobleman Alexis de Tocqueville defined individualism as a mature, calm feeling which disposes each member of the community to sever himself from the mass of his fellows and to draw apart with his family and friends so that after he has formed a little circle of his own, he willingly leaves society at large itself. In other words, to think individualistically is to think of yourself as independent of others. Calling the shots with whom you will spend time and be committed to and with whom you will not. It is not without foundation that one of the great American icons is the cowboy. Why? Because he's alone with his thoughts and he's the master of all he surveys. Not surprisingly, Lone Rangerism has flavored the experience of American Christianity. Rather than understanding themselves in terms of biblical metaphors used for the people of God, that is, living stones in God's house or parts of Christ's body, American believers are prone to adopt a just me and Jesus mentality. Yet, when you read the Bible... It has all of these plural, personal pronouns that we are to engage in with one another. We're to be a community connected to one another. Now, I I don't have time to go into this in detail, but Christ, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he gave gifts to men. And those gifts given to the church were pastors and teachers and elders and deacons. And the purpose of those gifts were to train the body of Christ to grow up together in Christ and to equip them to do ministry to one another and the culture at large. That is exactly God's plan. But we are to be connected. You receive from the ministry of other people. For example, the Bible makes very clear that... um, Each member of the body of Christ has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
We call that a spiritual gift. It's a unique ability to serve in another person's growth, a believer's growth. And if each body of, uh, member of the body of Christ is to thrive, there has to be the presences of such things as teaching, shepherding, administration, service, encouragement, hospitality. Each member of the church does not possess all of these gifts, but other members of the church possess some too. To cut yourself off from fellow church members is to be cut off from what the Bible calls God's grace in various forms. It's not only the gifts of fellow Christians that bless the believer. Simple bodily presence of brothers and sisters is a blessing. Now, with that said, the writer, and with that, those presuppositions in place... I want to go over now our passage, and it's just three quick things that we're going to talk about. But listen fast. Number one, our passage tells us to submit to spiritual leaders who have been established in the church. In the Bible, all submission, whether of citizens to rulers or children to parents or wives to husbands, is always done unto the Lord. It is a sacrificial act of worship and trust. Verse 17 gives us two commands. Verse 17 gives us two commands. Accompanied by six compelling reasons for godly submission. First, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And the first of these commands, obey, mainly speaks of this. It speaks of receiving the teaching given by spiritual leaders. The Greek verb here also is used for being persuaded. Submit speaks of yielding to proper authority established by God. These we offer to God as worship, receiving the truth and yielding to the leadership. Six reasons are given for you to obey and be submitted to your spiritual leaders. The first is found in the word leader itself, which also may be translated as guide. True spiritual leaders are those who go before the flock into the word of God and prayer and into the Christian life, just as the great message of Hebrews is, is that Jesus is our all-sufficient guide leading us to God. So also, our Lord has appointed leaders in the church to guide us on his behalf. This is especially linked to the idea of being persuaded. Christian leaders are guides into the word of God. We should not say, I believe it because Reverend or Dr. So-and-so said it, but rather, I have been taught it is the Word of God, it has been explained to me by my elders, and my conscience is now bound to believe and obey. Second, we submit to spiritual leaders because their authority comes from Christ. It comes from Christ. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Since Christian leaders, particularly deacons and elders, are called to serve the church, we are to receive them as authorities established by Jesus. The authority is spiritual and moral, not temporal or worldly. Third and fourth. 
These leaders are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Many people have a security company to help them protect their possessions. And when the company uh, gives advice about the security of the household, the homeowner does what? You usually do what they tell you. You assume they've done this before. You assume that they have a, a vested interest in seeing you protected or they'd be out of business. So you do what they tell you to. Others have a financial advisor who watches over their wealth. If an advisor sends information, the investor reads it and sometimes takes action on it. If advised to change investments, sometimes the investor does so. But the leaders mentioned in Hebrews watch over your very soul. We watch over your soul. Your soul. And that's serious business. It is a heavy burden. It is a heavy weight. And so, they lie awake at night. They're gifted by God for ruling and for teaching. And they lie awake at night pondering your spiritual well-being and how they might help support us in the faith. What better reason could there be than for us to gladly receive and follow their teaching and rule? Furthermore, as under-shepherds, they may get, may ha must give an account to the chief, shep chief shepherd. Excuse me. They are not serving for their own benefit, but for ours. If they are called to give an account, our response then is to help them through obedience and trust. Fifth, our obedience is what makes spiritual leadership a joy and not a burden, without a doubt. The single greatest discouragement most leaders in the church face is a congregation that will not receive or believe what is being taught from the Word of God. This wears leaders down. It wears them down. It weighs them down. It's not the hard hours of labor. There is that, but frustration with hard-hearted sheep. The greatest gift a Christian can give a spiritual leader is a readiness to believe and receive and obey God's Word. Finally, the verse concludes that it is no advantage to us if our leaders are burdened by division and strife and unbelief in the church. That's no advantage to you. Surely there are few blessings in life which are richer than a unified, godly, spiritual church to which we belong, and each of us plays a vital role in building up such a body. I don't know if you've thought about it, but you ought to give thanks regularly to the Lord for a church like this that is committed to these principles, that is committed to the Word of God, that is committed to the Gospel, that is committed to trying to oversee you, that is committed to try to shepherd you. That is one of the greatest blessings anyone could ever know. Listening to uh, Nate Sonner speak of the church in the Philippines, I mean, just after hearing him describe the context in which he's doing ministry, you ought to be jumping up and down that their church is like this one, where people love one another and where you have leadership in place. I can tell you it's not that way everywhere, not at all. And so if we turn around uh, the verse, 
which is a primer for those who would undertake spiritual leadership, we are to be guides in the Word of God and in the Christian life, practicing what we preach by setting a good example. We bear the burden of authority, the Word of God in the Christian life, uh, and therefore we're responsible, and it keeps us up at night, thinking about those who are... Uh, wandering away, thinking about the sermon we have to preach, thinking about sheep going astray, knowing the sorrows of many hearts, and weeping for those who suffer. No wonder the church has long been considered as a prime illustration of Christian leadership, the shepherds who are keeping watch over the flock on the night Jesus was born. Hugh Latimer, the great English reformer, said, Now these shepherds, they keep their sheep. They run not hither and thither, spending time in vain and neglecting their office and calling. I would that clergymen would learn the lesson by these poor shepherds, which is this, to abide by their flocks and by their sheep, to tarry among them and to be careful over them and to feed their sheep with the food of God's Word. To this we would add the knowledge that we will give an account, fellow elders, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the authority we bear, we're to use in humility and in Christ's name. So even the strongest of people need, the third thing I want to talk about you, is we need the grace for a calling like this. And as Apostle Paul once said, who is sufficient for these things? No wonder the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in verse 18, pray for us. If obedience is our duty to Christian leaders, then it is obvious that prayer is the greatest ministry any of you can offer for a pastor or an elder or a deacon. The writer of Hebrews says we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Surely this comment only thinly veils a desire for prayer in just these matters. Serving God with a clear conscience, clean conscience, and living honorably as an example to others. And this is the target. You've you got to realize your leaders have a target painted on their back. The enemy of our souls despises and hates the leaders. Sometimes if you want to inflict harm upon an organization, you cut off the head of the snake. And so assaults are coming at your leaders constantly. And if you don't pray these things regularly for your pastors, then you fail to realize how important they are for the church and the frailty of our own sinful nature, which is like yours in flesh and all its weakness. We are living in a time marked by gross sins among spiritual leaders, the damage of which is inestimable. And we should cry out to God that such a thing should never occur in our churches. We need to pray for the protection of our leaders, both from spiritual attack and the normal danger of life in this world. And after the death of a famous, outstanding Christian leader, a member of his congregation said to me, It never occurred to me that a man like him needed my prayers, but let it sink in, we do. We do. 
Because one of the first things you run into is, is, is if you look at a biblical description of what leadership is supposed to do, none of you would ever want to do it. It costs you everything. And it is a job in which you can't fake it till you make it. You can't play politics. You're accountable to Jesus Christ. You're one day going to stand before him as your judge and give an answer of how you have shepherded the flock. And this is no small thing. And that's why some people call it the burden of leadership. But please understand, because we may look strong on the outside doesn't mean we are. We need your prayer. Thank God that Walt on Facebook every week posts pray for your L pastor, elders, and deacons. He posts that every week. I love to see that. I'm just hoping he prays along with posting it. And I'm hoping that many of you pray for us regularly. It's so much easier to criticize a person than it is to pray for them. It's so much easier to point out where they come up short or what their flaws or what their faults are. Believe me, we have them. But the noble thing to do the godly thing to do, the right thing to do, is to pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. Because we're under attack, because we're as weak as you are, because we're as tempted as you are, our lives are the same. You know, the day I was ordained into ministry, there wasn't a holy glow that fell on me, and I'm not a man anymore. I'm still who I always have been and was. And so pray for us, pray for us, pray for us, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons, pray for your leaders in the church, that God would be glorified in our obedience to him. So the writer of Hebrews, as he closes out his book, brings up the subject of what we're to do. That is, obey and submit to the leaders. Why we're to do it. And he gives us six reasons why we're to do it. And he tells us the most important thing is don't neglect to pray for them. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word has clearly spoken to us today about our responsibilities of first being a member of a church, being under the authority and shepherding of godly, responsible, ordained, God-called, and equipped leadership. And we pray that we would understand that that's something we desperately need in order to receive the blessing of being a part of the body of Christ. We know that not all of us have the temperament to want that, but we know also that we have the need for it, and we pray that we would do so in faith, recognizing that you will encourage us in every way. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as those who belong to you and are so grateful for what you have done for us, what you're doing in us, and what you will do when Jesus comes back, and we pray in his name. Amen.